The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. God, we come here this morning to seek your face, to worship you, to know you, And while we're here, many of us, there is a part of our heart that is sad. Knowing there's people we love that when they hear about you, when they know we're going to church to worship you, it doesn't make their hearts happy. They're skeptical. Maybe they even challenge us. We live in a community that seems to be so covered in darkness much of the time. We live in a country that oftentimes shows that by the way it gets angry. We live in a world still longing for the the freedom that uniquely comes, uniquely is found in Jesus, the light of the world. And so as we hear the story of Christmas again this morning, I pray that you'll give us courage to live in the light of the gospel truth, and to share that with people around us. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God promised for thousands of years that a Savior would be born. And then we waited days, weeks, months, and years, came and went with no sign of his coming. It became harder and harder to believe that God was telling the truth, and then it happened. The promise was fulfilled, and there in the manger for the whole world to see was Jesus, the foretold king. These four weeks of Advent, we invite you to see the promise of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus and believe. So uh, every year, I think I learn something new about Jesus and the Christmas story and the traditions we have that surround making this such a special time of the year, not just because we celebrate Jesus being born, but it's, it's fun to be festive together. Uh, I learned this week <clears throat> in conversation and then in studying for preaching about the, the wise men or the magi that um, I had no idea what the 12 days of Christmas were. Like I, I'd known conceptually how it was developed and, and what it meant, but it's way more than a song. Uh, I'll just start there. Um, but I was talking with some pastors about how, uh, which, which was technically Christmas Sunday. Okay, this is a, it's a real tricky week, right? So we have the 19th, which is before, and then the day after Christmas, the 26th is another Sunday. So you were talking about like, you know, which, which one is your Christmas Sunday? And... Uh, one of the pastors go, well, you know about the 12 days of Christmas. And I, was, you know, I kind of bluffed, I'll be honest. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well, if you don't want to have to bluff your way through life, um, the 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas Day. They don't end on Christmas Day. Um, you know, this is, this is old Protestant Daniel talking. All of you who have some Catholic roots are like, Duh. 
But it starts on Christmas Day, and then it ends 12 days later, typically right Jan- January 6th, with the Feast of Epiphany. This Feast of Epiphany is celebrating the revelation, right, the, the clarity that comes when these Gentiles, these foreigners come, and they see Jesus and see that he is incarnate God, cosmic savior, not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. The fulfillment of Genesis 12, when God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. That is the Feast of Epiphany, January 6th, when we remember that the Magi, these foreigners come and they get it. And we see that Jesus, who is the king of the Jews, isn't just for the Jews alone, but for the entire world. The 12th day of Christmas when the true love gave whatever, right? The actual 12th day of Christmas, (laughs) celebrated historically, is that Feast of Epiphany. We remember some characters that have become very familiar to us. Three wise guys from the East that come and they celebrate Jesus. But it is helpful to remember that these were absolute strangers to Mary and Joseph. When the knock came on the door, it says they were in a house, as we're going to be reading here in Matthew 2. As the knock came on the door, it was completely unexpected. They did not know (laughs) these men were going to come. Likely many of them, not necessarily many magi, but a huge caravan coming and traveled 800 miles to get there. And here comes the knock on the door. It can be scary to get a knock on the door from strangers, right? It can also be scary to knock on a stranger's door. You imagine those wise men having traveled 800 miles and they're here, they're standing in front of the door and they're wondering what is going to happen. Now, we have a little experience of that being scary. As I've mentioned, my wife is far more neighborly and generous than I am and uh, loves making cookies, and the conversation typically goes like this. She makes the cookie, and she says, I think, I think we should take these to our neighbors. And I say, I thought that you were making them all for me. <laughs> Every time. And, and there's a little bit of my heart that doesn't want to go along with the plan. And, and so this was two days after Thanksgiving, <clears throat> pouring down rain, and she, she's just made these delicious cookies, or right? And she's like, let's take them to the neighbors. And I have a lot of great reasons not to do this in my pocket. I'm like, it's raining, it's uphill, it's muddy, we have a dirt road, right? All these things. <laughs> and of course, five minutes later, we're, we're trucking up the hill. Now we get into about 20 feet of the house, and there's this big sign that says, if you can read this, you're in range. That <laughs> does not make this less scary, okay? <laughs> there are more cars than usual. We knock on the door, and, and our neighbor, who is typically, he's pretty gruff, you know, uh, comes to the door, and he just bends our ear for the next 20 minutes. They're literally, they're selling their Thanksgiving, but he's like celebrating, but he comes out, and he just wants to chat with us. All of a sudden, the scariness melts away, and we're friends. <clears throat> and I, I'd like to imagine that is sort of the story that we're getting into today. The wise men approach, Joseph wanting to protect his baby, has a, son, a sign outside that says, you're now in range, and they knock on the door, and they get to meet the Christ child. 
<laughs> that is just a taste of the story that we're going to be talking about today. Men looking for God and finding him. So I want to tell you, and I'm going to be doing a bit of reading here because the Wiseman story is probably more fascinating than we've ever allowed it to be. And I want to tell you about the Magi, these wise men. Magi were known as being wise and powerful men. They would have likely been raised in homes of elite and wealthy families. From their childhood, they would have been accustomed to receiving the best of everything that money could buy. Magi was a vocation available to them because of their privileged birth. When they came of age, their training would begin with mathematics and go on to astronomy, medicine, astrology, alchemy, dream interpretation, history, and magic. Magi. Upon completion of their training, they would become advisors to the king. If they did not give good advice, they would be put to death. An example of this is given in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers. It's like we're reading a fantasy novel here. He is given unfavorable, unfavorable news and condemns all of his magi, all of his advisors, to immediate execution. Now, if you have in mind images of Lord of the Rings after hearing about magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, you're only partly right. A more accurate view would be this blending of Gandalf and the famous astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. The magi would be expected to both honor and harness spiritual power and learn the natural laws that govern the sky above and the earth below. The natural and supernatural weave and work together for the Magi. These men were not superstitious. They were seekers of truth, and their seeking ultimately leads them to Jesus. I'm going to read that again, because this is really important. The natural and supernatural weave and work together in the life of these Magi, in their training. They are not superstitious. They are seekers of truth, and their seeking ultimately leads them to Jesus. Takes a lot for us to unpack this, right? Because these are, I, you got to know their context. They're not growing up learning about Yahweh. They're growing up learning about all sorts of other things. Contrary to popular storytelling and caroling, we don't know the number of magi that came knocking. Their backstory simply begins with an astronomical discovery. One star in the heavens communicating a clear message to them that the king of the Jews would be born. The extraordinary nature of the event is easily lost on our postmodern minds. The inspiring starry messenger has been reduced to a decorative tree topper that dimly shows the way to a stockpile of overpriced Christmas presents hidden beneath. I do hope the shining message of the star will again be seen and heard today so we can join the wise men in their courageous journey to find and worship our king. Now, the star. Have you ever looked at the stars on a cloudless night? Imagine night after night trying to take them all in and learn their secrets. The Magi paired the science of stars with their growing knowledge of mathematics and the study of religious texts from around the world. As their king would conquer new countries or their ambassador traveled, they would bring back new knowledge from all the far kingdoms. The goal was truth, regardless of where it came from. How does the universe work and what is the power behind it? 
It was assumed that there was a supernatural influence on the world, and it was the job of the Magi to listen and learn and gain wisdom. This leads us to consider how the Magi might have come to learn and believe the message of the star, ultimately the gospel message. And I'm going to propose three options because we don't know for sure. And uh, <clears throat> I believe these, the three best options we have are this. If we want to know, because we, we literally, this, the backstory is what? They saw a star. That's what we're given. And we're, we're led to piece together. How do these people have such bold, courageous faith that they literally come to the place where everybody has the message of the Messiah, and yet they're more acutely aware of its truth and its presence, right? The presence of the one being born, the king of the Jews, right? They, they come, and, and they're probably confused how eager they are and how everybody else just is going about their business. So there's three options, and I think the first is this, the prophet Daniel. It is possible there was a group of wise men that came to learn about Yahweh from Daniel when he was the chief advisor, kind of like the prime minister, to the king of Babylon. Do you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? That Daniel. He distinguished himself with skill and wisdom that amazed the king, and the king elevates him to the second highest position in the entire land. But Daniel never stopped believing, honoring, and worshiping the true God. In the book of Daniel, while serving King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel has a prophetic vision and writes these words, the, sovereign, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Man, boom, you got Daniel who's been uprooted from his people in, in Israel and he's been brought to Babylon and he just has this wildly courageous faith. He's talking about it, he's praying, everybody knows what he thinks. And so it's a, it's a good possibility. Maybe there's this group of wise men that continue that, that message, the understanding of Daniel. Right? And so hundreds of years later, maybe we got people who are still waiting for the one he was waiting for, this sovereign, powerful, great king, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's one option. Option two is that these magi who are collecting stories come in contact with Jewish merchants as they're coming through their town, and they go, they're sitting down and they're just listening to gain understanding. The Magi were curious men, always looking for answers and new explanations. Any Jew would have been quick to answer them if they said, why do you still have hope when you as a nation have been crushed over and over and over again? And the, the Jewish merchants would have quickly responded, because there is a coming future Messiah that will liberate Israel and its oppressors forever. There is a kingdom coming that is an everlasting kingdom, and that is the kingdom we wait for. Been a quick, all, all the Jewish people would have known that and shared that immediately. So they could have maybe gathered it that way. Lastly, it's possible it was just a dream or a vision. That has happened and it still happens. It would not be novel for God to show himself in this way. This is the way he calls Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. This is the way he commissions the prophet Isaiah. This is the way he instructs Peter that he can start eating bacon. And to this day, 
There, it's true. There are accounts of people believing <laughs> because God revealed himself to them in dreams or visions. That is a way that God shows up in such convincing ways. And it such, burns its way into people's hearts. They just can't let go of it. That is possibly what happened here as they're looking in the stars at night. One way or another, the Magi have seen the star and understood the good news. A king of the Jews will be born, and he is for all people to come and worship. The trip is not a weekend getaway of friends or a restful holiday. This determined journey of believers is over 800 miles, and I'm, I'm clocking that from Babylon to Bethlehem. It's not just 800 miles, but 800 miles through sun-scorched earth. They rode camels and they slept in tents. The trip took months and required money, provisions, and equipment. The nightly shining of the star is the only indication that they are not hallucinating along the way. We learn when the Magi arrive in Jerusalem that they are not familiar with the location of the foretold Messiah's birth. They have come by faith and expect the details to be filled in. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> they show up in Jerusalem. They're like, so... They have come by faith. It is likely that the Magi first visit King Herod because they assume the newborn king would be found in the palace. That is where kings are typically born. The status and influence of the Magi can be seen in how easily they gain an audience with Herod. They arrive and they're immediately ushered into the palace. However, what they expect to be public news quickly becomes a blackmail secret that Herod intends to keep between themselves. I imagine they are confused and disappointed leaving Jerusalem for Bethlehem. How is it possible that no one in Jerusalem is aware of this great event that they have come 800 miles to witness? Doubt left in the light of the star. It hung before them over Bethlehem like a faithful friend who always tells the truth. Bethlehem is only a five-mile journey from Jerusalem, and soon their faith became sight. A child, the king of kings, in his mother's arms. Wow. They bow low in worship. The wise men then present gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Looking back, they recognize that gold, we recognize that gold honors the eternal king, frankincense honoring the only perfect priest, and myrrh pointing to the child's future death. And embalming. Israel knew the stories but missed the fulfillment. Wise men are evidence of the grace and greatness of the fulfillment of God's promises. God is calling people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to worship Jesus, the Savior of the world. Wow, that's the story of the wise men. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> you know? What we reduce to a couple guys showing up with boxes is an epic journey <laughs> that brings people from all over the world to witness the newborn king. So I'm just going to touch on three uh, questions here as we comprehend uh, the story. I'm, I'm going to read now uh, from Matthew uh, 2, starting in 1 and going to 12. Uh, and this is where we're going to get our answers from to these three big questions. The first is, what would have made it hard for the Magi to believe? 
That's our sermon series is seeing is believing. So what, what would have been present in their lives that would have made it hard for them to believe that Jesus was the king? And the second is what did they see that helped them believe or that encouraged their belief? Uh, and then the last thing is what did that belief produce? So Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came, from, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So what would have made it hard for these guys? What would have made it hard to believe the good news message? There's two things, and probably so many things, but two things I want to mention. The first is the length and frustrations of a long journey. Um, if you have ever taken a long journey with anyone other than yourself, <laughs> it is incredibly difficult. <laughs> you know, I, I want you to imagine, uh, you know, we already talked about the resources, the money, everything, that would, logistics, they would have to go into this, this really caravan, camels, tents, food, traveling across the desert. This is a long and arduous trip. And I think the last five miles was probably the hardest. <laughs> I, I want you to imagine the anticipation. They are, they are probably turning to one another along the many months and they're reminding each other of what it will be like to arrive. Right? That's kind of what you do on your journey. You know, we have the new experience of traveling with a little one and, and you, know, you just talk about what it will be like when you get to the Airbnb. You don't talk about what you know, security is going to look like at the airports and you know, pulling everything out of the overhead cabinets. You, know, you don't talk about that. You're just like, I can't wait till we get there. And that's what they were talking about. Man, when we get there, and I bet the party's already started, and then they arrive, and the chief priests and teachers of the law, who know the promise, have no interest in the Magi's journey. That would be incredibly, incredibly discouraging. Now, I want us to think about our journey, our faith journey, because this is really what they're going on right now. They're going on a, a journey of incredible faith. And how many of us are at a point in our own faith journey where we are frustrated and sometimes wonder if it's worth continuing, right? 
The world right now is in incredible turmoil. There is literally more people leaving work right now than probably ever in our history. People quitting their jobs because they don't know the point of it or the point of their life or they want change. Or the, this is a time of massive upheaval and, and that affects our faith journey. People feel stuck. They feel stuck at home. They feel trapped where they are. All these things lead us to a place where probably the wise men were, where they get there and they're like, man, is it worth it? Is the destination real? And is it worth, even when I get there, will it be worth the, the terrible frustration of this journey? These are questions that confront our faith, and I guarantee you were questions that confronted the wise men as they laid awake in their uncomfortable tent at night and thought we have 400 miles left to go. The second thing that would have made it very, very difficult for them to believe is that they were outsiders. And in some ways, probably incredibly unwelcome, especially with their questions. I'm sure when they showed up to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, to the chief priests, they, they probably looked down on these magi. You don't know the truth. You don't know what you're talking about. You came from 800 miles away. What do you know about this? And they probably were laughed at. On top of that, in many of the pictures of the wise men, it, it represents three people of different nationalities. And the artistic decision there is probably fairly accurate. Magi probably came from rich families all over the conquered peoples of the empire, like Daniel. And so you probably have this kind of hodgepodge of people coming, these magi from all over the place. And so they're, they're coming as foreigners. And, and all we get is they're coming from the east. Now, I want you to imagine how exact that is. Now, if I, sold, if I told you this morning, well, I, you know, I've came in from, you're like, are you new here? And someone's like, no, I came, I came from the east. And you're like, East Bremerton, Eastern Washington, East Coast, Middle East. You know, that's about how exact it is to say I've come from the east. So these, these people are probably just gathered from all over the place and they've arrived here. And this isn't their king, it is the king of the Jews. So what gave them the idea that they would be accepted by this king and his people? Well, the star did. <laughs> and the incredible promises of God that are sprinkled throughout the whole Old Testament. I want to give you a couple. We, we already looked at Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 12. It was all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Isaiah 49. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nations. To the servant rulers... Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Kings, princes will come. Isaiah 60, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian, Ephah, all these places to the east will come bearing gold incense proclaiming the praise of God. Psalm 72, kings of Tarshish and distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him with gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Right, this sprinkled throughout the Old Testament is this foretelling and this promise that this king, the king of the Jews, would be an invitation to all nations to come bow down and worship. 
You have a place around this king. What did the Magi experience that caused them to believe? And <laughs> I love these answers because it really, this is what we get. We get the, the way the Magi believed was simply a star and a message that they understood from that star. That is all we get. And it is, I will tell you, the more you think about it, the more confusing it is. How did they understand? Well, the Magi, and I would say the Bible, the Bible is not anti-science, but the Bible is not limited to science. It's probably the best way to think about it. <laughs> the Bible is not anti-science, but it definitely isn't limited to that, right? You read the Bible and you're like, yeah, that, you know, people walking through a sea that was spread in two, Jesus restoring the eyes of the blind. You see peppered through the whole Bible, actually the theme of the whole Bible is that God created all things and all things are still subject to his power. So just as much as God can create the world and everything in it, he sure as anything can keep shaping that world, right? And so that's what we see here. And we see both of these honored, and we see them honored in the story of the Magi, this honoring of, of the supernatural and an honoring of the natural. And we get this in Psalm 19. I want you to think of this in terms of, of maybe the perspective of these Magi who anticipated a Jewish king. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. That is what we're getting here. <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. Now that doesn't stand alone. It is paired in Psalm 19 with the law of the Lord, which is perfect. The statutes of the Lord, which are trustworthy, right? Paired together is this testimony, literally of the earth, crying out, there is the God. And then the accuracy of God's word and his promises paired together. And that's what we find here in this story. A star that carries a message, and that message is that the king of the Jews has invited them to come and worship. Before we move on from this, this how, what did they see and believe? I want to ask you a question that is a good, hard question, which is this. How does God communicate his truth to our spirits? How does God communicate his truth to our spirits? So you like just getting answers, don't you, right? It's hard when you have to think about them. See, what I'm, I'm asking here is, it's easy to look at them and be like, oh yeah, you got all that from a star? <laughs> but when you came to know who God is and you came to trust his promises, both that he's fulfilled already and that he will fulfill in the future, how did your spirit come to understand that is true? There is a language that our souls speak that cannot be captured merely by math and test tubes. Blaise Pascal famously said, the heart has its reason which reason knows nothing of. The heart has its reason that reason knows nothing of. God speaks this language fluently. Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. It just, the spirit of God just moves past 
all the muscles and sinews and skin, all the doubts we have in our head, and, and he can come in, he can testify to our spirits with immediacy. You're my child. And this is what happened. Somehow this communication happened from God to these magi, the invitation of God, that if you've come to him, you've heard, and is the invitation, come and worship. <laughs> the song, come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. That's what they heard. Involved in that was a star in the sky, pieces of truth that they gathered from Daniel or Jewish merchants or, or a vision at night. Come and worship the newborn king and they're responding and they're coming and it is overcoming their doubt that maybe I'm too far away. Maybe God doesn't want me which is something that probably many of us have struggled with. Do I really have a place to worship the king? And the answer is God saying, God speaking to your spirit, even now, come and worship, come and worship. It's the spirit that we long for to communicate to those we love that have not yet understood, even though they've heard over and over and over again. What do we want? Do we want them to just finally hear a fact and go, oh yeah, that fact is better than my fact. (laughs) <laughs> We're like, no, I pray that the Spirit of God will break into their heart and confirm to them the truth of the Amen. Yeah, preach it. Right? And just confirm to their heart, this is true. This is freeing. This is life. That's what I long for, right? For my family that doesn't know Jesus. I don't want, you know, I could send them all books all day long. And they could read and they could be like, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm waiting for the Spirit of God to just rescue them, right? And that is what happened to the Magi. Best explanation, right? So what's the result of their believing? Their long, faithful believing. The result is worship. This is so good. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They're like, yeah, it's coming. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down and they worshipped. Now, before we just like go like, oh yeah, that's the story, I want you to see each part. They came to the house. You are now in range. Right? (laughs) They're walking up to the house. What are they going to find? Is this the right house? Has the whole journey been in vain? Knock, knock, knock. The door opens and they see a baby. This is the king of the Jews. They see the baby and the mother. Vulnerable, utter vulnerability. The most natural scene you can ever imagine. A mother and a child. Unglamorous. They didn't find him in a palace. This is a house with no indoor plumbing or electricity. Wood, you know, not even wood floors, probably. It's just dirt floors, sheep coming in and out. And they bow down and they worship. They worship. Bowing low to the ground, acknowledging that this child is greater than them. These men who walking into Jerusalem could have immediate audience with the king, bow down and worship this vulnerable child. The worship for them was a literal exploding of their hearts. All that they had waited for, 
all that they had believed was true. And so they present these gifts that they have brought, themselves not even understanding the full meaning of them. Gold, he is the everlasting king. Frankincense, he is the perfect high priest that we've waited for. And myrrh, the one who would give his life for our sins. Worship. Isn't this amazing? Worshiping the truth that is before them. Worship is not a feeling. Worship is a way of honoring. This is really important. Worship is not a feeling, it's a way of honoring. It is respecting the words that have been spoken and responding to the invitation to believe the solid and unchanging truth. This is the king of the Jews. The solid and unchanging truth. Guys, this is so important. They had so many reasons to doubt along the way. And yet when they came face to face with truth, all they could do was worship. The point of every sermon we preach up here is to once again point us to Jesus, the King of the Jews. When we come to worship on a Sunday, we, like the Magi, travel to see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears. We have challenges just like they have challenges. There are people here who have traveled a long way, maybe for the first time, to hear this message. There are some of us who come and we don't really believe that God wants us, but we're coming just to check it out. Others of us have stopped believing altogether. We're like the chief priests and we're like the teachers of the law who probably see somebody new sometimes and we're like, man, they'll never be as smart as I am. We've lost the point altogether. And because of that, we've stopped worshiping. Now these magi, these wise men, show us what it means to seek after God. In Jeremiah, the promise is clear. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And these foreigners, these people far away from God, found him because they sought God with all their heart. Are you looking for Jesus? God does not disappoint for you who do not give up looking for Jesus like these magi. The story of the magi is an enduring and powerful reminder that Jesus is the savior of the world. While souls in Jerusalem slept in their privileged understanding of God's promises, a group of wise men from the east were awake and searching the stars for signs of hope. If you have felt far away from God or that you don't have the right words to understand him, be encouraged by this story. God shows himself to those that relentlessly seek him and seeking him is hard. There are many reasons to doubt and give up along the way. Don't let go of the message that Jesus has come and he is coming again. The one who believes and follows hard after God will arrive at the place where faith becomes sight. The wise men saw a simple home with a mother and a newborn child, the fulfillment of God's promises. And the question remains for us, will we be ready to see the king, this king who was newborn, who will come again to judge the living and the dead? Will we be asleep like those high priests or will we be searching and awake like the wise men? So my invitation for you this week as you consider this, this fantastic story of the Magi is that do you seek Jesus like that? 
Are you sleeping like those they found in Jerusalem? We're going to go into a time of communion that every time is an opportunity for us to search our hearts and present our hearts to God as a gift, remembering that night that a few gathered with Jesus and he took bread and he took, took the cup and he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. In the same way, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And the reason why we do this every single week, and you can do it every time you gather with believers in your home, is because we never want to stop searching for his heart and believing that he is the savior of the world. So let me pray for us. I invite you to take communion together. God, I pray that you will make us just impressed by the wise men this Christmas their courageous journey, the boldness of their faith, them not taking Herod's frustration as the end of their journey, but they kept searching, they kept following. I pray that that will just awake our souls to just press on, even maybe if it's been hard the last year or two or last week or today was hard. God, that we will seek you because when we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with all of our hearts. I pray that we'll take this time of communion and worship and and celebration and the feasting of the week as all a way to search for your heart and know you. I pray there'll be a moment for everyone here that they'll find themselves just bowing down to worship. Man, God, all I am, all the ways that I am unimpressive and all the ways I'm impressive, I just bow down to worship Jesus. He is King of Kings, Lord of all, sovereign over all things. And I want to spend my life in service of him. God, we long for your, your coming again and pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name.